Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket with me, Simon Hughes, and Simon Mann. Thanks very much for all your emails about your scariest moments in cricket. We're going to review those and read some of those out next week. In the meantime, this week, we're not going to talk much. We're going to let our guests do that. Now, in the past week, the former Gloucestershire and England player Mark Elaine has told The Telegraph the numbers are disgusting. He was referring to the fact that he's the only black British county coach this century. Hampshire's Keith Barker, also in The Telegraph, suggested that black cricketers have to work that bit harder than white players for international recognition, unless they're superstars like Chris Jordan and Jofra Archer bowling 90 miles per hour. And the former England opener, Michael Carberry, told the Cricket Badger podcast, to be honest, I think cricket is rife with racism. The ECB have released a statement which went as follows. In recent weeks, we have reflected and acknowledged that black players and fans who have contributed so much to the history of our game now feel disenfranchised. They do not feel as if cricket is a game for them. This must change. In this edition of the Analyst Inside Cricket, we're focusing on why there are so few black players, coaches and administrators in the English game and what can be done about it. As you'll hear, there are two clear messages from our guests today. We're going to hear from Roland Butcher, the first black player to play cricket for England. He speaks to us from his home in Barbados. And in the second half of this podcast, we're joined by the former England fast bowler Dean Headley, who was the son of West Indies opener Ron and the grandson of the great George Headley. Also, Rodney Hines, the sports editor of The Voice, Britain's leading black newspaper. 25-year-old pace bowler Abby Sakande, who left Sussex last summer and is looking for a new county and commentator and former England player Ebony Rainford-Brent, who's the driving force behind a scheme in South London to find talented black cricketers. The response to which has been overwhelming. The message, the interest and talent is very definitely there. So we've got a fascinating cast list for you today, and we're going to start with Roland Butcher. He was born in Barbados and moved to England at the age of 14, in fact, he played with me at Middlesex, and one thing that always struck us about Roland was his dynamic batting and scintillating fielding. In fact, we nicknamed him Hoover because he used to roar in off the boundary and pick everything up one-handed, almost as if he, he could suck it off the ground and then hurl the ball over the stumps to effect all sorts of runouts. And it was that style and skill that earned him an England debut in 1980 against the West Indies in his home island of Barbados. He was, of course, the first black player to play for England, which he says fulfilled his own ambition to play international cricket, but was also very important for other black players in the English game. Devon Malcolm has spoken to me many times and, you know, and, and said exactly that, that you know, he, he felt that you know, it was an inspiration to me playing because he suddenly started to get some belief that, you know, that if he really put in the work, that he could do it as well. And the same would have been for both Slack and Norman hmm. and, and Neil Williams and Gladstone Small and, and Chris Lewis and all the guys who came after that. So, you know, yeah, it, it certainly would have given those guys the motivation to work hard. At the time, for me, obviously, 
I was not thinking in that area. I, I was thinking of trying to carve out a, an international career. But much later in life, obviously, you would have realised um, the impact that it would have made. Do you think that there are the same opportunities now for black cricketers in to, to, to play, say, for England? I think, the, Simon, I think the demographic has changed, certainly from my time. Because, you know, if, if, if you think back to the time when we were youngsters playing the game in England, in, in every county, minor county, where there was a concentration of uh, black families, you know, people were playing cricket. So the places like Reading and High Wycombe and Birmingham, et cetera, et cetera, there were, you know, black people playing cricket. Men, children, everyone was playing cricket. And it was a very healthy situation. Now, I think what has happened certainly since her time, Simon, is that most of the kids now born in England, uh, and this was this was the, the case with my brothers as well. You know, I had two brothers who were born in England, and their, their focus was very much on, on football. You know, football is very well marketed. You know, they're seeing all of these black stars on their screens playing for all the, the different teams in England, the Premier Leagues, etc., etc. And really, they believe that there are more opportunities to be a football player than to be a cricketer. And also, if you think for the last 25 years, you know, you've had the decline in, in West Indies cricket team as, as a world power. And that has not helped the situation because we're West Indians who were born here and lived in England, and those who were born in England back in those days felt a connection to the West Indies through that team and the performances of that team. For the last 25 years, they haven't had that connection. So basically, they have lost their connection to the West Indies. Perhaps they see the West Indies now purely as a, as a place where they can vacation. And while you're on vacation, you know, you meet up with your extended family. Um, I, I mean, I had a first cousin from my, my, my uncle, who was a very good cricketer, um, George, who was a very, very good cricketer. When he left Barbados to go to England to try and make a living, played some very good cricket, was offered a first-class contract to play cricket, but couldn't take it because of the amount of money that was being paid at the time. He could not support himself, family there, and a family back in Barbados. So he declined the, the, the offer to do that. But his son... George Jr., who was born in, in England, became a professional football player. And George George played many, many years for West Ham. Um, his name was George Paris. Played many years for West Ham as a, as a defender. So while there was cricket in the family, but both me playing cricket and his father being, you know, cricket as well, you know, he, he, he went into football, which I thought was natural because he was born in England and, and, and saw football as, as the way out. Going back to cricket, what do you think we can do as a society to encourage black players to play more cricket? Do we need more black coaches? Are, are, are people feeling alienated from, from the game? You know, is there more we can do to encourage them? Absolutely. There's, there's a tremendous amount that can be done to do that. People do feel alienated. One, they're seeing very few black players playing at the top level. Um, they're seeing no, no coaches or managers at the top level. So, you know, then people will get a, a feeling of, of a closed shop. So there's a tremendous amount that cricket can do in England to alleviate that fear. I was speaking at a, a meeting yesterday with John Neal, who you know, obviously, at the ECB. Hmm. So we had a long conversation yesterday. And... You know, we spoke about you know a similar thing. So, I think what really the CB needs to do is to really develop situations where people can be, they can feel empowered. What has happened with the appointment of Vic Ransilanki at Surrey is, is a good thing. But you know, you're going to need more than just one, particularly in this time. Hopefully, that will spark um, an interest in, in people wanting to be from the, 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 the black community, wanting to be a first class coach. But you need, you need some work on the ground as well. You need a lot more work on the ground. And I suppose uh, someone like Joffre could be a catalyst uh, in the same way, uh, obviously, as Chris Jordan was before him, although uh, that, it, Chris Jordan doesn't seem to have led to, to too many other black players, but maybe Joffre's prodigious success will. Well, yes, but I think what will need to happen is that Joffre will have to become more than just an England player because 
when his England career is over, will he leave England or will he, what, you know, what, what, what will he want to do next? So Geoffrey would have to stay in the system in England to tr after his playing days to, to further inspire um, others to, 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 you know, to go that route. Who knows? Mm. You, know, he, you know, when his career is over, he might go and live in Australia or he might, might come back to the Caribbean. Who knows? So anyway, you think that it is more important really to, to get people in the coaching, you know, black people in the coaching structure and there hasn't been enough encouragement. I think I think that is true. But as I said, I, I, I don't think it's just a, a one-prong attack. I think there has to be development on all fronts. Um, the opportunity for players, the opportunity for coaches, the opportunity for managers. Now, if, if, it, is, if it is felt, and, and appear that there is a, a level playing field, then you know you, you will get people gravitating to work hard to achieve those um, positions. If it appears to be a close shop, then naturally you know people will go in a different direction. Especially at a time now where generally people now have more choices than than say many many years ago. You know, it's, it's a job really for not just the ECB. You know, I, I think the the major counties, I think the minor counties. All of those people have a very important role to play, you know, within their own community, you know, to try and spread the, the game as far and wide as possible because you just don't know what is out there. Has there been, do you feel, in, in you know, in the, few, the last sort of few days, few weeks, uh, a feeling of empowerment at all uh, amongst the black community where you live in, in the sporting sense? Well, definitely. I mean, you've only got to listen to... Jason Holder, who's currently in England with the West Indies team. Um, you know, I think he's speaking and really saying the, the sentiments of how people in Barbados and the Caribbean really feels about the whole, the whole issue. So because you're a sportsman, you're, you're, not, you're not immune from what is going on in the world and, and also have feelings about it. So I think what has happened in the last couple of weeks is that you know, the, 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 this wave and this feeling has vibrated around the, the whole world, really. Uh, I think people have, people have sort of joined the bandwagon, so to speak, and this thing has spread like, like wildfire. So the Caribbean is exactly the same. I mean, right now there are Barbados, there are peaceful demonstrations taking place in Barbados in relation to the removal of, uh, of statues, etc., etc. You know, Lord Nelson's statue... Is one they want removed from um, Broad Street, which is the main street here in Bridgetown, and, and many others. So that sort of thing is happening around the Caribbean. So it, it is very much a movement that I think that's come about because, obviously, because of, you know the the death of um, George Floyd. Yeah, yeah. Floyd, and, and and not just not just that. I think that really seemed to be the the straw that brought the camels back. It's also broken the camel's back at a time where, because of, of, of the pandemic and COVID-19, the world generally has been at home for the last few months. And being at home, they're on phones, they're on the computers, and the power of social media now is that, you know, it gets to the other side of the world at the click of a button. So you've got a captive audience of all of these people being at home, not a great deal to do. And obviously, they, they, they joined the fight. What it's also done is it has made some people who, also because of having time on their hands, who have not spoken out in the past, but have just let things happen, have suddenly um, got a voice and, and want to say something about it. So it, it is something that is captivating the world right now, and the Caribbean is, is no exception. Thoughtful stuff from Roden Butcher there, and it's amazing to think in a way, given the number of black players there were in English cricket in the 70s and 80s, that it took as long as 1980 for a black player to make his way into the England team, as Butch did. And there have been a, a sequence since, of course, a lot in the 1980s and 90s, the likes of Devon Malcolm and Gladstone Small and Wilf Slack, of course, as he mentioned, Norman Cowens, 
latterly, Ricky Elcock actually got a call up for for England without actually playing a game. And then there was Chris Lewis and Phil De Freitas in the 90s as well. And then the supply seemed to dry up. And really, since 2000, there have only been three black players playing for England. That's that's Michael Carberry, of course, and then latterly Chris Jordan and now Jofra Archer. So it's interesting how the numbers seem to have declined. So let's open this up now to the forum we have with us today. And as Simon mentioned, we've got Dean Headley, we've got Abby Sakande, who has recently pulled back from his career at Sussex. We've also got Rodney Hines from The Voice newspaper in South London, and later we'll be joined by Ebony Rainford-Brent. So the first question I'd like to ask you guys is, is there racial discrimination in cricket still, in English cricket? And if so, how does it manifest itself? Dean, let's start with you. You're the schoolmaster at Stanford School, so you've had wide experience in the game at all levels. What's your take on it? I think there's racial discrimination um, in life. Um, I don't think it's just confined to cricket. I don't think it's any worse in cricket or any less you know any less in cricket it's it's just part of life part of the world and we need to strive to get better at giving everybody opportunity um and that's not just um i mean we're talking about whether that's racial discrimination but there's also discrimination in many other ways in and it happens in different countries in different ways as well so when we say racial discrimination it is about every sort of race it's not just black white um eastern european it's everything so that's my take on it rodney you're working in the community in south london a lot how do you feel about it yeah i feel there is discrimination i mean i think the stats bear that out we don't see too many um black cricketers representing say the england team now um the way that 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 used to occur I think there is an issue. Um, it has to be resolved. And I think um, I cover all sports and we look at, say, football, for example, having a challenge or two. I think cricket has a challenge or four, for example. I think the, the game's deep traditions um, and heritage and, every, and everything that goes with that has contributed to where we are right now. Um, but I'm a great believer that in order to solve some of these issues, we need to have these sort of forums. We need to keep it uh, at the top of the agenda, not the bottom. And I think those that are now making decisions within the game have to see this as a priority. As I said, not fourth or fifth on the agenda list anymore. I think now we need uh, to push on and to see change. We'll explore the, the idea of uh, the necessity for change and what that change could look like in, in a moment. But Abby. Uh, You've had a career with Sussex. You decided not to continue with that. Um, did you sort of experience any discrimination in your career? And um, and also perhaps explain why you decided not to carry on playing cricket professionally? Um, well, for me, I don't think my decision um, to do with the cricket was um, anything to do with um, race. I think discrimination definitely exists within cricket. Um, I'll counter slightly what Dean was saying that I think right now the issue is definitely to look at um, off the back of George Floyd and off the back of um, the uh, momentum that the Black Lives Matter um, movement has generated that it is time to look at cricket and race um, race specifically um, and the treatment of black people across society um, and you know and our job today is also to look at um, how that affects us in the world of cricket. Um, you know, we know that the stats uh, say that there's what maybe under two percent um, of you know black cricketers playing uh, in in England professionally, um, compared to uh, at, at the population level. That's uh, a massive underrepresentation. Um, and although the ECB have put out statements about um, you know uh, that they support diversity, we've got to also look at is the next generation of cricketers going to be coming through. Um, is there going to be any diversity amongst that you know, next generation if they don't actually do anything about it? We've seen that the ACB did a bit of research about South Asian participation in the game uh, and they put out their South Asian action plan a couple of years ago. Um, and some of the, th- the findings that they made from, from that research 
um, massively apply within the world of cricket being a very white world, being perceived as a very white world, being perceived as having specific barriers to um, not just to playing um, and progressing through pathways, but also through coaching um, and um, participation in management levels. Um, and if that's the case for you know um, people from Asian backgrounds, that's 100% also going to be the case for um, people from black backgrounds as well. Um, and my own personal decisions to do with my career um, were more to do with opportunities um, uh, that I felt that I was going to be uh, maybe limited and how much opportunity I was going to get going forwards at Sussex. So it wasn't specifically anything to do with, you know, there's just a lot of fast bowlers, a lot of competition. My performances in the last season didn't quite match up to what I wanted to, to get out of it. So um, so that's you know, that's just how things play out sometimes. Um, but definitely, I think that at a structural level, we've got to look at um, you know, DCB, and uh, they've got to they've got to make a response to this. They've got to start actually looking at the numbers, do some of the surveys, um, find out what the situation is. You know, use the data, arm yourself with the data, and then we can look at um, what type of a change we can make. Just to, to respond to that, um, I I'd had a, a long interview with Roland Butcher uh, the other day, uh, who of course was England's first ever black cricketer. And, uh, you know, his view about why there are not le a lot less black players in English cricket now compared to certainly when we played, when I played, when we had, you know, I had four in my, in my Middlesex team, um, was that they're more interested in football now. And so rather than there being a sort of racial discrimination against uh, black players in cricket, perhaps it's just the fact that more black people, young black people want to play football rather than cricket. It, it's, a, it's a choice. I think there is a competition that we have to um, we have to compete for the best athletes. I don't think cricket does. Um, I don't think cricket does across whatever race. I don't think we get the best white players. I don't think we always get the best black players. The one thing that um, we t we talk a lot. We we do a lot of surveys and we do this and we know we've known the problem for a long time. You you know. Even even when you go back to when we were playing, you can say you had four players in your side, but then there was more actually on the staff for Middlesex. But then you start looking at the real reasons. So you've got to start saying, so Tower Hamlets, it's not got a cricket ground. So then you've got facilities. So if there's no, if there's no, if there's no facilities, you can't get people to go and play cricket because it's expensive. So you're not going to travel... 20 miles outside your boat to go and play cricket. So we can, we know, we know these issues. If there are no facilities, you will not get people playing. Now then, I, I'm a schoolmaster. I don't see that the, the level of investment into grassroots, into club level, and the control of the game by the ECB goes much beyond first class cricket. And so... I'm. I sort of what um, I hear about schemes about Asians, and then we'll have a scheme about black players, and then we'll do this. But then it's all talk. In fact, I'd rather not have a scheme, not talk about it, but just do it, and just get on with it. Because we don't need a title. We just need action, and that action isn't just. I see a problem getting play teenagers playing cricket. Period. Right. There's a bigger problem within inner cities. So I haven't looked at the stats, but I would say the, the mass majority of our black community live near cities. But there's no cricket ground in cities. So therefore, we've got to find a way of getting cricket grounds or facilities or take the game or provide some sort of game that you can play in a cage or get people just participating, first of all. Surely we've just got to get in the community, start engaging and start competing. Because you're right, Roland Butcher was the first black player to play for England. Yeah. Laurie Cunningham was the first English footballer to pull an England shirt at under-23 level. Followed by Viv Anderson at Fall International. I'm quite... I'm quite I understand this situation because I supported West Brom. So I used to sit in grounds with... 15,000 people shouting nigger, you know, and watching Batson and Cunningham and Regis, right? And my dad sitting there, me sitting there, and we went every week to home games. We weren't too bad at home games, but then if you went to an away game, it was awful. But, but I mean, that, was, that was 40 years ago, obviously. I mean, it was terrible, clearly. I mean, hopefully we've improved a bit since then. No, 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 no. But Simon, we haven't just improved. We've massively improved. 
And so we do scaremonger, and it's not going away, but we've got to get better. But let me get this right. You've got two people making monkey noises in Tottenham out of 60,000 people. We put it on TV for two weeks and debate and make these people notorious. Ban them. Don't talk about it. Just kick them out. Because two people with whatever they want to do, they're just stupid people in 60,000 people. Don't Let's not make that an issue. It's not right. Kick them out, whatever. But don't give them, don't put them on TV. Don't don't stir up the, the business so that other people think, oh, I want to be notorious. Rodney, you're, you're working in South London, you know, sort of in a city area. Is it a problem? Is it the facilities, in a way, which is what Dean was sort of most intimate? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's facilities. I mean, that's a starting point. But, I, I mean, I think I said at the top of the piece, this isn't a one-size-fits-all remedy, yeah? Um, cricket has to, to, to open its doors and welcome people that traditionally wouldn't play or support it. Um, I have covered games up and down the country and I know, Dean knows, you all know that people from the Caribbean, especially more so than Africa, for example, love the game of cricket still. Okay, it may not be as popular, but I don't know how welcome they feel. I don't know how catered they are. Um, I was watching, I think, Fire in Babylon the other day and I know that was a long time ago, but you could see what it did win, lose or draw for the community. And I think the taking away of flags and whistles and that sort of fun element of cricket has chipped away at people that would love to go to games but feel that there's no place for them. I mean, come on, we must all know that Lords is viewed by a lot of people as quite clearly the home of cricket. But home for who? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So Dean is absolutely right. We need facilities. But I think the game now has an opportunity to reinvent itself a little bit and welcome people. And at the end of the day, we can't get it twisted that I think that the Caribbean community, and you're absolutely right, I think football, Premier League football, the NBA has distracted a lot of people from the game of cricket. But there's still an awful lot of people that love the game, but don't feel that they can go to a game or that they'll be welcome or they'll be able to celebrate the game itself the way they knew they could. I mean, Rodney, it's really interesting that cricket, when you look at a team that goes for 13, was it 13 or 15 years? 15 years or 15 years unbeaten, unbeaten in any country without a top class spinner. Go to India, Pakistan, everywhere. How many documentaries have been done on that team? Hardly any. And yet, you could probably, stats-wise, say it's the greatest period of a team in any sport in any era. And yet, it's not celebrated. You know, the rules were changed. You know, Michael Holden said, you know, why stop people being bounced? They have more protection now than ever. And yet, we systematically broke that team down to say, right... They came up with something, we're going to stop them doing it. And again, Rodney's right, that in the crowd, you know, the over was a carnival. Yeah. And now, you know, you blow a whistle or you take, you know, it started where you're banning, you're banning the steel drums coming in. Now you're going to ban the conch shells being done. You know, everybody that I talk to goes out to the West Indies. They're really disappointed now that the West Indies is not that festival yeah. Of of cricket, you know it's where. Interesting actually, because I, I'm one of my first Test matches I ever attended in 1973 was a West Indies Test at Lords, and I remember sitting in the Compton Edric stand, and uh, you know all that noise, you know the bells, the drums, the conch shells, etc. It was a most fantastic atmosphere, and I'm on the the MCC committee at Lords. I mean, we tried to encourage them to to be a bit more open minded about noise and everything, but it's the neighbourhood, you know, it's things like borough councils and um, people in the neighbourhood complaining. It's a shame, but, you know, that's a, I, I mean, that's just a sort of little tiny, uh, but I suppose important key to, to what you're saying here. And people feel alienated. You know, the black community sort of feels slightly alienated from cricket, perhaps. But, I mean, I think when we see Pakistan and India play, they replicate what the West Indies fans were doing years ago. There's colour, there's, there's, there's music, there's drums... And with all due respect, it adds to the spectacle. So 
to if you took away what India and Pakistan fans bring to the game, there would be no game as far as I'm concerned because they bring something special. And I think that, and we've got to say as well that the West Indies' lack of success over the years hasn't helped in terms of interest. Um, so as I said, I think that if you join all the dots together, that's why um, things are the way they are. I mean, I, I go to games, I do T20 games as well, and I am positively made up when I see a black player now. Do you know what I mean? Because they are so rare. And I'm thinking, this is strange. I, I grew up with black men being highly successful in this most traditional of games. We talk about um, facilities and not being welcome. Abby, you're 25. You've been playing county cricket relatively recently. What was your route into playing professional cricket? Um, well, for me, it was basically the, through friends who introduced me to the game. Um, I've grown up in Sussex, which is uh, obviously a very kind of white area of the country. Um, and I've got, you know, I'm very lucky to have parents that um, took me from uh, the state school where I started off and sent me to a private school where, you know, there was facilities for me to play sport. Um, and it's definitely a very common pathway that, you know, if you're at a private school where they offer, offer sports and they offer you training, um, and, you know, then, then there's a chance for you to progress. Um, and it was never something that my family had much background in. Um, you know, like I said, my, my dad's from West Africa, cricket's not really, um, a big deal over there. Um, and so it was just kind of the environment I was in. I, I happened to be good at it and, um, and I feel like I progressed through the system, um, because, you know, I got, uh, uh picked out early as, um, having, having potential. Um, and, but I would definitely say that, um, it, whatever area you're from, um, there's definitely a, some of the factors that you're talking about is there's a, the stereotype kind of creates reality um, in a way. So if you don't see, um, you know, you don't expect black people or black kids um, to participate in certain sports like cricket um, or, you know, then it's going to get a stereotype a bit like golf, you know, or horse riding. They're, they're perceived as very, very white, very elite, very hard to access sports. And it's the question of in the future, do you want cricket to be known as, you know, a sport that's more like more like um, golf or some of these sports that are very, very, you know, kind of members only exclusive and, you know, black people around the country um, aren't going to want to feel part of that. Or do you want it to be, you know, um, more like football where that people feel like there's a chance and definitely I think facilities is a, is a massive issue um, and you know having been to a private school myself I can very much you know I'm very much aware um, of the fact that the there is facilities available there uh, and I question why haven't you know the ECB potentially looked at you know is there some way of you know sharing the resources around um, so that if you're from the, like, the local state school down the road um, you know you can have a tournament or you can you can be able to use the facilities when they're not being used by the private schools you know can the ECBs put some funding models in or something um, to enable coaches you know because the private schools pay their coaches right they have cricket masters who are employed purely for that you know do do clubs you know can they afford to pay full-time coaches or is it just community coaches from the from the county level and you know if there's not a somebody being employed full-time um, in order to actually provide cricket outside of that private school system, then of course we're going to get this very kind of elitist, very restricted group of people who are going to be able to progress into the professional game. So it's definitely a structural issue as much as it's a, an individual... Um, so the of idea of well, facilities and sort of welcome sense of, yeah, you're welcome, yeah, we want to include you in this game, are those, are those the two big issues or are, are, are there other issues as well? As I said, I think, I think one of the other issues... Um, is a lack of success for, say, the West Indies team. It is also the fact that we don't see... Well, we have Jofra Archer now, but uh, they almost seem to come through one at a time. Um, Wolf Slack, obviously, as well. Dino. Um, we just want to see more. It's a little bit like Formula One. There has to be a new, another Lewis Hamilton for it for Lewis's legacy to really kick in. Do you know what I mean? But you talk about Jofra Archer, right? He, this young man goes in... He takes the pressure of the World Cup. He's thrown the ball at the very end. And yet, within weeks, his character comes into question. Yeah, absolutely right. You know, it's like the Laurie Cunningham. I mean, I don't know whether you've seen the, the, the documentary, but it's it's a fantastic BBC documentary on him. With, with Archer, it's sort of like, well, you're going back to the stereotypes of, well, is he strong enough? Is he mentally strong enough? Is he weak? He's going back. Is he lazy? Yeah. 
right? We shouldn't be saying about that. We should be saying to him, you know, we believe you are the person that can lead English cricket, and but we are taking him down already. Yeah, those stereotypes you're talking about, though, Dino, those were the same stereotypes that were, were labelled to black footballers in the early days. They couldn't play. They couldn't. Play the they couldn't play in the cold. They had no leadership skills. They didn't have the bottle, whatever terminology you want to use. And this is why I say Jofra Archer is fantastic. But what you do need is that England team on merit. Clearly, not because they're black, but on merit, you almost need those facilities, that encouragement, that they're welcome to the game, so that an England team in the future has two or three, four or five black men in it, all on merit. But it's a side issue as well. But you're right. What the, you cannot be surprised, Dino, that when Joffre did what he did, that the negative headlines would follow. Because that's what we do. <laughs> that's what we do, isn't it? Well, we do a little bit with our own sportsmen anyway. But it's just that it's just that we've been crying out for. A, you know, I mean, you have got Chris Jordan. You've got you. We've, we've had black players, but. Um, you know, this is a bloke who's just come from nowhere and then just dominated. He's gone to the big bash. You know, he's got something about him. He's got that X factor. Um, it's just really disappointing to see when we are trying to knock down somebody who could do so much good in this game. And and it is about competing. But, Yaz, one thing, and I will give credit, Owen Morgan took that team and he has recognised everybody as an individual in that team. And we can, knock, we can knock people, but I've got to say that I think Owen Morgan's leadership has been unbelievable. Spot on. Absolutely spot on. And he talked about diversity. The diversity of that team, that World Cup winning team, was what got them over the line. Do you know what I mean? There were South Africans in that team... Owen himself, Jofra Archer. It was fantastic. It just shows once again, not just in sport, but whether it be the NHS, whether it be in, in, in blue chip companies, the diversity of your personnel can be for the benefit of the good. And that's why I think cricket is missing out. Yeah, I, I mean, just to pick up on um, the, the, the issue about Archer, I think it's really interesting, actually, that there, there's this sort of subtle discrimination going on because... One of the things that he did was when he loosened up in the morning, he didn't do a kind of customary hard sort of 10, 12 fast balls before the game. He would bowl left arm spin before the game. And Trevor Bayliss at one point said, you know, there's a few people kind of muttering about that, looking as if you're not trying in training. Maybe you need to actually bowl some proper deliveries rather than just running up to bowl your left arm spin. But to, to Jofra, bowling left arm spin was his way of relaxing into the game to you know get him mentally sort of ready for, for play. That's what he did. That's what he wanted to try and do in, in a sort of routine kind of way. It's like Gower. And it was Gower exactly the yeah. And but it was our narrow mindedness in a way. I'm not blaming Trevor Bayliss for this, but you know it was our narrow mindedness to see that. As a uh, to, to perceive that as he wasn't trying, that was just his way of doing it. But Simon, that was just a case of someone from a, a different background to what we're all used to, say, in the English game at that level, just doing something different. And that's why I say it's diversity of thinking as well. And did it come up trumps on, 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 on the greatest day that this country has enjoyed for a long while in terms of cricket? And that's why I'm saying... On merit, clearly, but the diversity of difference can bring something fresh and exciting to a game that, with all due respect, in my opinion, could do with that freshness. And what you do with that freshness, it opens doors. It opens doors to others. I mean, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm based in South London, and I know that Joffrey Archer is a hero to many young people, of whatever colour, because he's coming and it's about relatability. People can now see what he's done, and more importantly... The success has been there as well. Because if England had lost that final or not even got to the final, you then can't hook uh, people's interest to it. But the fact that they went all the way, add the fact that the, the highly dramatic circumstances as well, Jofra Archer, for me, he's a cricketer first and foremost, should be used as a sounding board or some sort of individual to help change the narrative about cricket. There needs to be a will from those that run the game in this country.
and or no, no, it's all right. I mean, and I was off the back of that, I was just saying that at the moment, are we getting those levels of recognition about this issue from you know from the ECB, um, you know from from the organisations within cricket that that are meant to be you know organising some of this stuff? Because you know, in the first place, their response to the Black Lives Matter, um, you know, was was a tweet about you know we stand against racism, um, we stand for diversity, um, and while that's like you know that's fine, it's an eight word statement about you know um, a black man who's been killed due to police brutality, you know, somebody kneeling on his neck for nine minutes and the seriousness of the issue compared to the response. And I feel like, especially when you um, you saw in, you know, it was about a week ago that the ECB put out an actual more considered statement about, you know, what that Black Lives Matter means to them and what, you know, that they're going to combat racism in the sport. Um, and reading some of reading through some of the tweets, um, instantly you see the pushback that you know that 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 that's coming from the ECB, uh, from from you know people in England who are following the ECB Twitter account and coming back and saying, I don't know why we're talking about this. The ECB should be focusing on other things. So I think like there's definitely an issue here where, again, unless you get the kind of the authorities to actually understand what the issue is, um, and you know, and Rodney, you're talking about a diversity of thought. Um, and some of you are saying you're on the MCC committee, you know, how much diversity of thinking is there on the MCC committee? You know, are there any faces who aren't, you know, of the traditional kind of mould of, you know, of um, um, of, of thinking and of, of colour and, and, you know, and, and of, of, of background um, who are represented, you know, and if there aren't any of those people who having their voices represented, then how are we going to, you know, how are we going to get an, an acknowledgement that needs to be changed and therefore how are you going to get change in the next 15 years? Because people will basically see, we don't think there's a problem, it's easier to stick our heads in the sand and continue on the same pathway like we have done done in the past um, and none of these, you know, issues will be realised um, and I definitely think among amongst the other black cricketers around the country that I've been talking to, um, there's definitely a discomfort with even raising the issue, you know, because there's so few people in a dressing room, it's not something that you're going to be comfortable to either talk to a teammate about because it's going to be potentially critical of you know people in and around um and it's not something that you're going to feel like there's going to be people in the management if you if you felt like there was an experience that you wanted to report who are you going to talk to about it there's nobody really there who's there to listen um so i was trying to i've been trying to push the pca recently uh in order to a come out with a statement to support their players um and say that you know that that they're there to listen and and be create a uh, kind of create a, gr- a group or create a space where um, the you know the black cricketers can maybe like talk to each other and you know maybe find some support um, because there are so few um, that it's one of those issues that you know uh, and the PCA have committed just recently that they're going to create a working group which is you know it's just a start um, that they're going to get representatives from you know the ECB the, the, they've already said that they're going to talk to the PFA about what they've done to combat racism in the sport and it is a start and it is a start an acknowledgement of the issue is where you've got to start um, and like I totally agree with you it's got to be a long term project it's got to be change over the next 15 years but the change that we can have today is you know um, simple things like acknowledge the issue start to you know look at the, the, the resources and look at the, the you know the people and the experiences that are going on um, understand what's going on um, and we saw the Premier League start the other day and they had Black Lives Matter on the back of their shirts you know why can't the ECB think about doing something like that in the upcoming test series against the West Indies you know start to acknowledge that there's a um, an issue and that cricket is not exempt if there's racism in society you're going to get racism in cricket we want to have longer term solutions as well to this you know educating people about unconscious bias is only shown to have an impact for you know for a very short space of time and then people kind of go back to what they were doing before so actually, if we want to make longer term differences in terms of um, within within the sport, we've got to have longer term plans. And that goes back to what we talked before about facilities and private schools and state schools and, um, and accessibility and, and role models and um, and everything we've been talking about so far. Um, but it is good to see that the, you know, the PCA, with a bit of pressure applied, um, are starting to take this issue seriously and starting to try to make moves and put together, you know, um, some kind of structure whereby we can push for change. Okay, we're pleased to be joined now by Ebony Rainford-Brent, of course, the well-known commentator and former England player, and you're very involved, Ebs, uh, in Surrey, in the community there, uh, both with women's cricket and cricket generally. So you've started a campaign sort of linked to to all this uh, momentum of Black Lives Matter. Can you explain? That's called ACE. Yeah, so we started the ACE programme back in January, so kind of before this current move happened, and... um, you know, we had a number of conversations within the organisation. You take the Oval, for example, Lambeth um, is one of the highest density areas in the whole country for people from black backgrounds. It's where I was born and um, came through the game. It's got 42% of the youngsters aged 10 to 19 are black. So 
walking past the gates of the doors every day, we're talking about 33,000 people. And God knows how many, you know, 25 years I've been coming through the gate. We haven't had another one sort of successful, have a county to career male or female. Um, that's a lot of people that we've missed. So we decided to set up um, a talent scout. And, and one, thing, one thing I think is really important during these conversations that we dispel a number of myths. So um, I hear from the cricket world that the black community don't care and they're not engaged. We launched this and straight away our phones were ringing off the hooks. We had talent come through for our trial days. We had to double the number of scholarships because of the amount we, of talent we found. We think there's three that potentially could be fast-tracked straight into the system. Um, and, and there was actually quite a high level of performance. Now, interestingly, nearly half were not affiliated to any cricket club or traditional cricket club. Um, but what we did see is the ones who had a level of talent did have some sort of cricket club, um, but some of those clubs aren't really getting support from the existing system. So I think there's a few things to dispel. One, I think people say black community don't care. I think that's absolutely nonsense. They're not all playing football. There's not a complete loss. There's been a disconnection from our game and the black community. Two, I would say that the club infrastructures that do exist for the black community are not resourced well enough and supported well enough to build into functioning teams that can have facilities to be able to play in league structures um, that exist. So again, that acts as a barrier. Three, I would say uh, the inner city, the facilities that we've had to look at to redesign some of our work um, shows that there is not enough activity taking place on the non-turf pitches. And in the, there is no junior club in the whole of Lambeth, yet still it's the most densely populated area. It's a big area of London. So I think I just want to throw in here that you know, I, I think that we think the game is broken and there's a reason. The reason why we haven't seen black players come through is because unlike rugby and football, which are getting into these communities, we are not. We are still servicing from the traditional kind of pathways that lead from private schools and traditional cricket clubs. And, and that's, I think, the most important thing I want to say is that we need to just get out there because if we do, we can completely change the landscape. Can I just ask you, Ebony? Yeah. That, that is in Lambeth and everything like that. I also feel it doesn't happen. We, we, we're lazy all over the country looking for its talent. Absolutely lazy. So in my mind, what you're doing, you're in a community. You're doing what you should be doing in a community anyway. And if we do that all over the country, we will have far more. You know, rugby does it, football does it. The number of scouts that go out across the country. So I, I, it's not that I'm not making this a situation within that Lambeth itself, but we have a problem with cricket systematically anyway, because, you know, yeah, the clubs have to put kids into county trials. We shouldn't be doing that. We should be going out and finding kids to be in county trials, not, not the other way around. And it's so much money to be there. So the fact that what Ebony's talking about, when you think about it, it's just common sense to get people into playing cricket. Whether they're black, yellow, blue, pink, green spots, it doesn't matter. What you're doing is brilliant, but to be honest, that could be done in an area with no black people or age, or, or in Bradford with Asian people. And that's that's my problem. We're just very good at talking about stuff. And what Ebony's done is, is got a committee together. They've acted. It's in their area, so Surrey have taken responsibility for their area. I completely agree with you, Dean. I think, um, you know, my background as well, socioeconomically, came from a working class background. Again, like you say, it's nothing to do with colour. I think our game isn't diverse enough in terms of socioeconomic groups um, as well. You're right. It just takes a little bit of work. I would say what we set up, we just got moving and we set it up within a two or three weeks of thinking we got out there and the response was ridiculous the community were ready to engage um you know newspaper local newspapers local radios all the it was crazy our phone was ringing so much we couldn't believe it so i think you're right we have kind of nurtured those existing pathways that existed in the game for a long time um you know nothing wrong with those we need to keep those pathways coming they've done a very good job at producing cricketers over the years but we're not reaching out to wider communities and hence we're most probably losing a pool of talent we're most we're losing sport to players to athletics athletics has got ridiculous talent coming through imagine if we we stole someone who couldn't quite run uh, 10 seconds in 100 meters but he's run he or she was running 
10 and a half seconds and happen to be able to bowl the ball pretty quickly or, you know, hit the ball out of the park. We are missing waves of talent. I look at our female athletes and I sometimes think, how comes netball, for an example, as a sport, has these athletes who are six foot plus, very athletic. You put a cricket ball in their hand or a bat in their hand and how productive they could be. We're just not reaching out. And so I think you're completely right, Dean, that cricket has um, not broken down any of these moulds. Why? I don't know. When other sports are doing it, you know, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to these national meetings that sports do around how you reach out to talent, how you develop talent. Why we haven't, you know, that I don't know. But what I'm aware of and just from a small programme we've launched, there is talent out there. And the worst thing that I think breaks my heart more is there are actually kids out there that we saw come through this programme who are not getting supported in club environments, but love the game and are playing it and somehow actually coming out with ridiculous skills without any sort of access to facilities or structures or environments that will nurture that. So that's a message to us that not only are we not encouraging new people into the game, there are people already who love the game who are not getting supported. Well, I'm sure we could talk about this for, for hours, but we'd better put a stop there. And I've certainly found it really illuminating. It's been an education, actually, an absolute insight into the issues facing some black sportsmen and women and some solutions as well. It sounds as if we should stop all the talking and start some acting, as, of course, Ebony Rainford-Brent already has. Thank you very much to her and also to Rodney Hines, to Dean Headley and to Abby Sikande for their contributions. Hope you've found it as interesting as we have. Just a, a final word to say that the new Cricketer magazine is out this week and it features uh, a preview of the England West Indies series coming up and also a big celebration of county cricket with 50 years covered from 1970 onwards with some very interesting new writers. It's a great package, a real celebration of the county game, which features, of course, a lot of black players as well as ones of white and Asian descent as well. And you can subscribe to that by going to www.thecricketer.com forward slash subscribe. We'll be back next week when, of course, we'll pick up on your scariest moments in cricket stories, which you've been emailing to us. And if you've got any more of those or you want to make some comments about this programme, you can send them to simon.hughes at thecricketer.com. And we'll look at all your emails with great interest. simon.hughes at thecricketer.com. Thanks very much for listening. Speak to you next week. Podcast Network.